Well, good morning to you. Um, I want to thank those who were able to, to come out yesterday. We uh, prayer walked um, Copper Cellar uh, Apartment Complex, Copper Creek, I'm sorry, Copper Creek. Um, and the kids may be dismissed. I'm sorry, the kids, you may be dismissed. If you're going to children's ministry, you are welcome to, to go and follow your leaders down there. But we pray walked uh, the Hudson's apartment yesterday, and uh, uh, what we did was kind of uh, house or apartment to apartment. We hung uh, door hangers just saying we prayed for the, for the family there um, and uh, some, had some information on the back, a little gospel presentation on the back. But we prayed for each building and prayed that God would work in their hearts, but ultimately prayed that they would get to know the Hudson's. Um, and meet them, and that the Hudson, God would use the, the Hudson family to um, share the gospel with them and get them connected to Christ's church. Um, if, I know we have a few other uh, neighborhoods that we've already kind of put on, on, on the calendar that we're going to prayer walk. Um, if we want to uh, prayer walk in your neighborhood, so please let us know what date would work for you and for your family. We want to make sure you can be a part of that. We don't want to do it for you. We want to do it alongside you. Um, and we want to help you um, connect um, with your neighbors for the sake of God's name. So please let us know, may, let me know, or, or Denton, and we will make sure to get that uh, scheduled um, and be able to, to help you in prayer walk in your neighborhood. Uh, we're going to continue our series on the book of Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 2, 16 through 23, the kind of the, the, the topic or the theme of this series is the Lord of all, that Christ is Lord of all. And, and we're, we're focusing on this theme um, in the book of Colossians to prepare our hearts for, the, uh, for Good Friday and uh, for Easter Sunday in April. So we're continuing in this great letter by Paul, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Uh, the title for this sermon is The Lord of Your Spiritual Growth. The Lord of Your Spiritual Growth. Colossians chapter 2, 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regards to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, or puffed up without reason by his sensual mind, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit, knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Verse 20, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not test, taste, do not touch. Referring to things that are all perished as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity in the body or to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is God's word for his church. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we are so thankful again to open your word and to teach from it. Lord, we thank you so much for this letter to the church of Colossae that you inspired Paul to write 
We know that this is your word. We know that it is your true word and that it has no errors in it whatsoever, that we can trust your word. But by that, we know that it has authority in our lives, that it is the ultimate authority in our life. Lord, I pray that our hearts and ears will be open to its teachings and to its commands. Lord, I pray for our brother Matt Higgins and his family, a friend of Redeemer Fellowship Church, whose brother passed away. Lord, I pray for him and his grieving. Uh, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would comfort him, comfort his family. And Lord, I pray, Lord, uh, as you've already taught me this week, to cherish the people in our lives, to cherish our family, to not ignore them, not to be indifferent to them. Yes, they've made mistakes, but we should forgive them in Christ and love them and care for them um, and sacrifice our time to be with them at times. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn that lesson from our dear brother Matt. Lord, we pray for other prayer requests going on in the life of our church Um, Lord, we pray, Lord, for people, that you would bring people together uh, in this season of disunity, Lord, where you bring people together for the sake of your name and to glorify yourself. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, the title of this sermon is The Lord of Your Spiritual Growth or Your Spiritual Maturity. And I want to start off um, talking about something that uh, I've never worked at a factory. Uh, I know very little about machinery, uh, but I knew some basic concepts. And most basic concepts of manufacturing, you what? You take raw material, whatever that raw material is, you place it into the process, the machinery, whatever you want, the assembly line, whatever you want to call it. And it will do, do what? It will produce something. There will be an output. Everything that we, most of the things that we use, like for some of you who work at Toyota, use what? You start with raw material, right? And you put it through the system, and then what comes out at the end? A car. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of processes in between, but that's the basic concept, isn't it? It's the same way with spiritual maturity. We, too often, the church tends to think that more people in the seats is actual the outcome, and it's not the outcome of church ministry by any means, whatever. People in the seats, or butts in the seats, as we say, are just what? Input. They're just people put through the ministry machinery, and then outcomes should be spiritual maturity. That's why Paul says in Colossians 1.28 that his toiling and his ministry and his suffering is for what purpose? To, produce, to present everyone in wisdom and teaching of Christ to mature, spiritual maturity in Christ. And that is the outcome. And Paul is focused on that goal. I would say it's one of his main goals with this letter is to say all my toiling and all my struggle with you is so that you would be mature in Christ. I don't want you to fall into false teachings. I don't want you to fall into teachings that are erroneous. I don't want you to fall into teachings that's maybe okay, but are actually distracting you and leading you away from Christ. I want you to be focused on Christ, recognizing your identity in Christ, because if you do that, it will produce spiritual maturity in Christ. 
So the main point is this. Trusting in Christ is the only normative means given for maturity in Christ. Normative. Trusting in Christ is the only normative means given for maturity in Christ. There are other things that are good, but they are not normative. They are not the sole authority. And so Paul is telling us, is like, really, the Lord of your sanctification is Christ. He will produce, present you holy and blameless. He will make sure you grow into spiritual maturity. So we want to start there first. Kind of backtracking a little bit. We'll get to 16, but we're going to backtrack a little bit. Uh, point number one is everyone's mature in Christ. Everyone is mature in Christ. This is, the, again, the focus of his goal. This is the output. This is the output. This is what Paul and his ministry is wanting to produce in his toiling is that the believers and the saints that he's working with will then be led to spiritual maturity in Christ. That's why he says in 128, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is the goal of Paul's ministry. This is the goal of Redeemer's ministry. This is not just Paul's vision. This is not Paul's mission. It's also every church's mission should be to produce mature believers in Christ. That's why there's so many churches with the wrong mission. Every church should have the same mission. I don't know if you know that. Now, it could be stated in different ways, but every church should have the same mission, which is what? To make disciples. To make disciples. To grow, to help grow people into spiritual maturity. This is the output. The other things that people get excited about or people focus on are input, inputs. They're not. They're raw materials. People in seats, programs, ministries. These are all what? Raw materials in the, in the machine, but they're not the end result. They are not the goal. Paul continues in chapter 2, and he talks about, he encourages the church in Colossae to walk in Christ. In verse 6, as you receive Jesus Christ, now walk in him. Continue to walk in him. Continue to trust in Christ in all circumstances of life. Trust in the cross. Trust in Christ's work on the cross. Because that is what unifies you to Christ. That's what fills you with his presence, is trusting in the work of Christ on the cross. Trusting in the word of Christ. Trusting in his word. That's why Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations and doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And doing what? Teaching them all that I commanded you. Why? Because we, we, want, to, we want disciples not just to be converted to Christianity or not just be given salvation. We want them to trust also in the words of Christ. Think of, uh, think of Paul, I mean, uh, King David in Psalms 119, this great psalm that's all about God's word. He says in verse 24, your testimonies, your word, are my delight. They are my counselors. Psalms 119, verse 50. And this is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Your word gives me life. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We want people not only just to 
to trust in the cross. We want them to trust in God's word as well because it is our counselor. It is our way of life. It is our lamp to our feet. In times of affliction, it is our comfort. Comfort. That's how we walk in Christ, trusting in the cross, trusting in his word. Through all circumstances of life, we trust in Christ. We continue to trust in Christ. Because by trusting in Christ, by persevering in Christ, it leads to what? Spiritual maturity in Christ. The end goal. We trust Christ also because we are told here in Colossians chapter 9 that the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Christ. The divine presence of God. Verse 10, it says that you have been filled in him. You've been filled with him. The divine presence of Christ Jesus is indwelt in you if you have trusted in the cross, if you trust in his word, if you have faith, if you're united in his death and burial and resurrection, when you trust in Christ, when you trust on his work on the cross, you are united in Christ. You're united in his, his death and his burial and his resurrection. Your debt has been canceled through the cross. You have triumphed over sin and death and the enemies of God because of your unity with Christ. So that's why Paul here in verse 16, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He says, don't let no one pass judgment on you. The, the, the false teaching going on that was surrounding this church was saying that they had to continue to follow the dietary laws of the Old Testament. That those laws actually hadn't been fulfilled in Christ. They were still lacking. They were still having to continue to eat the way that the Old Testament restricts the Jews to eat, and also to follow special holidays. And the reason why they did these things is because God said in the Old Testament, if you don't do these things, you will not be clean. And if you're not clean, you can't worship me. That was the law. That was the guidelines. That was the restrictions in the Old Testament. If you are not clean by following the dietary laws and following the special holidays, you cannot worship me. You cannot approach me. And so they follow the law. Well, these teachers are telling the Colossae Christians they have to continue to do that. In a sense, they're passing judgment by saying, because you aren't following these laws from the Old Testament, you are unclean, and therefore you are unable to approach God and worship. And Paul's saying, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Only God has that right to pass judgment on you. You have been united in Christ. You, your debt that stood against you, God set aside, nailing it to the cross. Your sin has been judged in Christ. Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So don't let anyone pass judgment on you. God's the only one that can pass judgment. And what did he do? He passed judgment on his son on the cross. So no one has the right to bring anything against those whom God has made alive in Christ, those whom God has reconciled to himself, those whom God has adopted as his own and filling with the divine presence of his son. No one has the right to pass judgment on them. Because again, judgment has passed to Christ. We are united in Christ's death and burial and resurrection. We have been made alive in Christ. So no one can pass judgment 
on us. Paul is even, the language in Colossians is all about the temple. That there is this, in, in, in the Old Testament, there's a separation. Only certain people were allowed to go into the temple, allowed to do certain things in the temple. There is a, a curtain that separated God from the people. Well, that temple system is destroyed. Christ, it, 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 through himself, he destroyed the temple in three days and then rebuilt it. And we are in Christ and we are the temple of God. God dwells in us. So to say that the temples of God can't worship God is absurd. The believer, the Christian, has every spiritual blessing in Christ through faith. Nothing else required or needed. No ceremonial cleansing, no special feasts. The false teachings were asserting that the dietary laws continue to be valid and must be abide to be clean and approved for worship of God. Well, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, destroys that view completely in Hebrews chapter 9. I know some of you are going through the book of Hebrews in your growth group. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, that then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from, God, from dead works to serve the living God? Faith in Christ, the great high priest. Dietary laws and regulations and things like that, they don't help purify the conscience. It doesn't change the heart. It doesn't guarantee uh, a full assurance in the presence of God, but the blood of Christ does. Even Jesus says in John chapter 4, to the woman at the well, your father said you had to worship at this mountain, but there will come a day that my father can be worshipped anywhere. All that is required is what? Spirit and truth. You are in the Spirit if you trust the cross of Christ. By trusting, you are filled with the presence of Christ. Christ's presence will lead you to truth. Christ pr provides what is required to worship God, to be approved for worship. A sinner is received in Christ and presented holy, blameless, and above report before God. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. I love this passage. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is important. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
How can this be true if we must follow certain procedures to be approved for worship by our own Father, before our own Father? If Paul is saying, draw near, I mean, the writer of Hebrews is saying, draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, but yet people are saying, no, 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 you can't draw near with confidence. You have to eat certain things and drink certain things and do certain things before you can draw near in confidence. And Jesus has already finished the work so that you can draw near in confidence. So you can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy from your Father. Draw near to Christ. Draw near in confidence to the throne of God. Why? Because of Christ. If you trust Christ, you're approved. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you as if you're not approved. You trust Christ. You've been cleansed of all unrighteousness. You are declared righteous. Why, if someone is declared righteous, are they not allowed to draw near to the throne of grace? That's what Paul is basically saying. These are just simply shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Have you ever seen a picture or a video of a place you'd like to visit? Um, there's, uh, every time I've been to Santorini, I never looked at pictures of it before I went there. It's beautiful. If you don't know what it is, it's like a, there's a, it's, a, it's an island in the Greek Isles that's like a lot of the houses and the buildings are on a cliff and there's a lot of blue domes. You probably, and all the buildings are white. You've probably seen it in a picture. You've probably seen it in a video. There's one thing to see it. There's another thing to actually go there and touch it and see it with your eyes. It had to be the same about the astronauts like Neil Armstrong who were preparing to walk on the moon. There's one thing to see a video. There's one thing to look at a picture or a graph or whatever. It's another thing to actually walk on the moon, to touch it, to put your hands in it. Those things are just simply shadows. But Christ is the fulfillment of the real thing. These laws and holidays pointed to Christ, but while they had to do these things to purify themselves, you have purity in Christ. Purity was fulfilled in Christ. His people are cleansed by His blood and declared righteous. We are renewed by the Holy Spirit and no longer need spiritual, special holidays to prepare our souls for worship. Purity and holiness is a reality by trusting in Christ. Therefore, welcome. You're invited to worship the Almighty God and find rest in His presence. Don't let, anyone just, not, don't let anyone judge you because you have to do certain things to be welcomed in the throne of grace. If you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, you are welcome. You are approved. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you that you are unworthy to approach God in worship and praise because you have failed to follow the regulations or worn the wrong clothing or didn't fully understand all the proper theology that's out there. If you have put your faith in Christ, you are welcome to worship Him. Only by trusting Christ can you approach and find relief in the presence of God. Draw near in confidence, brothers and sisters. You are welcome. There's too many of you. I know it. You put too much walls up approaching him in worship, and that is your own detriment. You are welcome to go into his presence and worship because you trust in Christ. You trust in him. Because in the presence of God, through Christ, you will then be made mature in Christ. That's an important part of this. 
The third point is this. In Christ, you are qualified for worship. Verses 18 and 19 of Colossians. Going back to Colossians here. Let no one disqualify you. Another way to read this is don't let anyone rob you of your prize. This is your prize. There's a... Um, there's, I can't remember what Olympics this was, but there was a 4 by 100 meter, meter relay as a U.S. women. And they were expected to win. They had the fastest runners. They got to the last leg, and the baton person dropped the baton. When the baton falls into another lane, you're automatically disqualified. If you're disqualified, what, what happens? You can't win. You can't earn the prize if you're disqualified. Uh, another sports example, the USC football team in the early 2000s, they cheated. They paid players. They lost their national championships. They were disqualified. Reggie Bush, their great running back, had won the Heisman Trophy. He received money. His USC bought his mother a house. The NCAA said that is wrong, and they disqualified his Heisman Trophy prize. Paul is saying, don't let anyone disqualify you or rob you of your prize or take it away. Christ is the basis of your qualifications. Do you have Christ? If you have Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, you are not disqualified. These false teachers are like umpires, calling outs when they have no rights to call outs. They're not qualified. Only God is qualified to approve his worshipers and says those who are in Christ are approved and are qualified. These groups and these people are assisting on asceticism and worship of angels and visions and puffed up with reasons by their sinister mind. Another way to say this is that they have false humility. They severe, they, they're, they're false humility, and, and it's actually applied in how they actually treat their bodies. In verse, in the later part, and again, verse 22, I'm sorry, verse 23, uh, they are, they're harming their bodies. It's a false humility. They're, they're starving themselves, acting as if they're righteous by the way they treat their bodies. It's false humility. It's hollow. They would have extreme fastings where they won't eat for long periods of time because they wanted to be perceived as holy, when they wanted to be perceived as righteous and spiritual. Sometimes they were doing this so they could see visions, to have these heavenly visions. That's why it says that they worshiped angels. They wanted to have these spiritual experiences. They worshiped the experiences over the God. They worshiped the angels because they wanted the spiritual experience. You're like, well, that's crazy. Let me give you an example. Revelation 19.10, what did John do? He worshiped angels. It's, and he had an experience. He was given a vision into the heavenly places, and what was he led to do? To worship angels. It doesn't seem as extreme when one of the apostles does this. This is the era of mysticism, where the experiencing spiritual mysteries are, are desired where people feel like just 
being a Christian is not enough. They have to have more experiences. They have to have these mystical experiences. They have to feel, they have to hear God vis- uh, audibly. They have to speak in tongues. They have to do all these things to have a higher understanding of God. And that is the problem. They believe that just trusting in Christ is not enough. So they need full experiences and something else. Christ is all that you need. Trusting in Christ alone will lead to maturity in Christ. Not trusting Christ and then also having heavenly experiences. You're qualified by your trust in Christ alone. Not because you also can speak in tongues. Or because you also can speak prophecies. Or you also can see visions. And that that actually qualifies you. No, 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 no. Only trust in Christ qualifies you. But here's a warning. Here's the warning, though. This wouldn't be, we kind of think this is a minority issue. It's not a minority issue. Christians throughout time have always been trying to have a deeper understanding of God, which I think is really good and important, but sometimes what does it do? It leads to arrogance and pride. That is the problem. We tend to want to be led to understanding something deeper. And this is the scary thing is that we've all been there. I've been there. I've been there, where you learn something new, you have a deeper understanding of something, and sometimes that opportunity and that leads to pride and arrogance. Just because you know something more than others, it's not an opportunity to place yourself above someone else. It's not an opportunity for you to draw attention to yourself. The, when you learn something, when you discover something significant that blows your mind, that's great. God illuminated your heart. That is awesome. Be humble, though, because that's the problem with these false teachers is that they thought they had something special and new, and what they ended up leading to was arrogance and pride and actually judging and disqualifying fellow Christians. That understanding doesn't qualify you for worship of God. Only Christ, Jesus, approves you and qualifies you for worship of his Father. He even Paul even is even more sharp with his warning to these group in verse 19, they, they, they were focused on these asceticism and the worship of angels and visions, and they're not holding fast to the head. They're not holding fast to Christ. Christians walk, Christian walk, a Christian's walk should only be gar- grounded in Christ. Paul is stating that the source of these, these teachings, which are judging believers unqualified due to certain practices, are in fact disconnected from Christ altogether. It even says they're not holding fast to Christ. They're not in Christ. That should be scary. We are to be built up in spiritual maturity by holding fast to Christ. Why should we hold fast to Christ? Why? Because he's the fullness of the divine. And when we trust in Christ, we're filled with his presence. And by that connection, by that holding fast to Christ, we are built up in the faith. If you have to be reminded of the greatness of Christ, Rich read Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is above all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and then through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, or making peace by the blood of the cross. That's why you should trust Christ. And that's why you should ground your faith in Christ and nothing else. Can these things that are listed in verses 18 and 16 and 18, can they claim power and authority? No. Have they canceled your debt through his death? Through their death? No. Have they won victory over sin and death through a resurrection from the dead? No. Of course not. That's why you have to ground your faith in Christ. You have to ground your trust in Christ. You have to ground your, your life and your identity in Christ and nothing else. Holding fast to Christ, you, uh, you are led to spiritual growth that is from God. If your spiritual growth leads to pride... It's not from God. If your spiritual growth leads to dividing you from other believers, it isn't growth from God. Trust in Christ alone leads to spiritual growth from God. It's important here. We all want to grow in God. We all want to grow in spiritual maturity. What the Bible is saying is you can't find it outside of Christ. You can't find it outside of his word. That is the only normative means given. That's not saying there are not good things out there to, to read and to, and, to, and to learn and to follow, but you have to ultimately follow Christ. This is the last point. The means of man have no value in spiritual maturity. So he's saying to the church in Colossae, hey, don't let anyone pass judgment. Don't let anyone disqualify you. And then he says, why do you submit to decrees? If you have died to Christ, if you've died in Christ, and you have died to the old world, the old fallen world under the dominion of sin and the devil and spiritual deadness, a new world has been launched in Christ's resurrection and his body. If you're united in Christ, you are free from the old world. The only element or fundamental building block of the new world is Christ. If you are now of the new world, why would you follow and submit yourself to the old world? The only fundamental building block for your life is Christ. Follow Christ. Trust Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Ground your life in Christ. Any teaching that separates people from one another and divides them from being one in Christ should be considered part of the old world. This is almost like a water filter system. If anything comes through it, that disunifies Christians, that puts us in places of hostility towards one another. This is Ephesians 2 stuff. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but only faith working through love. So these false teachers were using Old Testament laws, dietary laws, uh, special holidays, uh, circumcisions, and things like that to divide. I mean, that is, should be rejected by the filter system because it does not, as Paul says in, in Galatians 5, 6, it's only faith working through love. We are not to submit to decrees or dogma from the Old Testament that divide. Jews and Gentiles. Simple put. Because 
As we see in Ephesians 2.15, Christ has abolished that hostility in his body, in his flesh. Do not submit to the commandments and teachings of man. Beholden to Christ and his word alone. It is sufficient and necessary and authoritative. Some were worshiping the laws over God. And by that, they were idols to human traditions. And what does Jesus say about the Pharisees? They recognized God with their mouth, but their hearts were far from God. They worship traditions and not God. That's why they didn't recognize Christ. Worshiping the teachings of man, no matter how good they are, is idolatry. It's idolatry. Because it's worshiping the traditions of man, the teachings of man, the commandments of man, and not the authoritative word of God. It's why Paul says here in Colossians, here in verse 23, it has the appearance of wisdom. It looks good. It looks wise. But they are simply shadows of the real thing. They are not a normative mean of grace in our lives. Only Christ and his word is. I'm going to read this uh, quote by John Frame. I think it's really helpful. John Frame is a, is a theologian. He says, There's a tendency among some leading evangelical thinkers today to base theological judgments on tradition rather than directly on Scripture. I don't deny the value of traditions, confessions, or historical study, but to make them ultimately normative is to violate the sufficiency of Scripture as God's Word. In many cases, the arguments used constitute genetic fallacies. Something is good because it comes from good tradition, or bad because it comes from bad one. Thus, traditionalism weakens the consciency of theological argument. I mean, this is a, this is our, this is a, 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 we can fall into this uh, where we lose the sufficiency and the authoritative word of God by trusting in good traditions or just traditions at all. They are no value for the purpose of of feeling our flesh, as Paul ends here in Colossians 2.23. Only in Christ is one filled with God's presence, and his presence is pleasure forevermore, and his presence is the fullness of joy. There's, I, I like, you know, Prince Caspian is like one of my favorite of the Chronicles of Narnia movies. Um, and I think there's more battles in that movie, I think, than the other ones. But there, it, it does speak of a pretty in, simple theme or simple storyline. If you remember Prince Caspian, the story, Aslan's not in the story all that much, is he? And it was for a purpose. They had to trust him, even though he wasn't there. Um, they had to wait for him to come. And one of the issues, one of the things the movie introduces that the book doesn't introduce is there's a scene where they convince Caspian to go get the White Witch, right? And, and, and so Aslam's not here. There's the army. There's your uncle's army. They're coming to destroy us. We, Aslam's not here. We can't keep waiting for him. We can't keep trusting him. So let's go get the White Witch, and she'll come help us. And he is persuaded by this. And the story is basically telling us we have to continue to trust. We have to trust Christ, even in times of difficulty, even in times where we feel like something else would be better to trust in. We have to trust in Christ. We have to trust in his word. So let me have a few applications for you before we end. Number one is you have freedom in Christ through faith to approach God and worship without judgment, disqualification, or submission to dogma. 
if you are in Christ, if you trust in him and trust in his word, it will lead to understanding. It will lead to holiness. It will lead to unity and spiritual growth will happen. The second point is this, the application is repentance from trusting in traditions or anything else as a normative means for sanctification. Sanctification being made mature in Christ only comes through faith in Christ. If it's not, if you're not putting your trust in Christ, it will not lead to spiritual maturity in Christ. We love traditions. We have, all of us love traditions. I love traditions. I love Baptist traditions. But these things are good things. They are great things. Ditton is a, has a strong Baptist identity. He would agree with me. We have good things. But those things are not authoritative. Those things will not lead to maturity in Christ. And if we make them God things, we are falling into idolatry. We can easily lead us to pride and arrogance, and that is a not a godly thing. We don't want arrogance and pride, do we? We do not want to be that person. We want to be full of humility because that's what Christ is like. That's what we want. Those traditions taking the place of Scripture alone is, as a final authority is the issue being addressed here by Paul. The desires of our heart is to unfortunately separate ourselves from others, making ourselves... Uh, uh, claiming a higher spiritual maturity through traditions and laws. This is sin. You know it is because you're filled with pride and arrogance. That is the indicator. If you're filled with pride and arrogance, you know it's not right, and you know you need to repent and look for forgiveness. Repent and be renewed and filled with God's love and trust in Christ alone. Trust Christ today as the normative means of your spiritual growth. Trust in his cross, trust in his word, and by that, draw near to God for worship and confidence. By trusting in Christ. Not trusting in yourselves, not trusting in the traditions of men, not trusting in your your ability to hold on to regulations and practices. But may your confidence be in your trust in Christ And by that, will you approach God's presence with confidence, expecting grace and mercy? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, this this passage is is convicting to me. I have been one who has fallen into 